podcast this week, we welcome my second favourite Baz of all time. Yes, the great Baz Luhrmann, as he tells us about his new Netflix show, The Get Down. Plus, all the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has a theory about why the Olympic diving pool was green that also ties neatly into a corresponding theory about where the Hulk went to after Age of Ultron. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning, both jumping at the bit to pick up that elusive Olympic medal for podcasting. Uh, first up is our art house guru, a man whose favourite Olympic movies are, of course, Christoph Koslowski's Three Colours Gold, Silver and Bronze. It's Phil Desimlian. Hi. How are you? Very good. Excellent. How are you? I'm great. Excellent. Uh, I haven't watched any of the Olympics. We're not going to win medals small talk, are we? No, that's just fresh banter. I haven't watched any of the Olympics yet. What have I missed? I'm getting into it in that weird way again that I thought because you know because the last one was so special. Yeah. The last one was so you know because it was here it was in London and I was completely and utterly cynical about it until the opening ceremony and then the first day of, you know because even though I'm a huge sports guy I was for some reason I was really cynical about it and then it happened and just the spirit of unity in the city and the spirit of excitement hit me and I went on a mad dash to try and get tickets and I actually went to the Olympic Stadium now home of course of West Ham United oh. and uh, um, and uh, you know I saw Usain Bolt and it was a mate we saw volleyball with my wife it was just it was extraordinary uh, if you're playing the drinking game at home I have mentioned my wife um, <laughs> so, my favourite uh, event yet yeah uh, and, but it, the Rio I don't know for some reason it just passed me by I think it's the timing we can't have it on in the office all day like we did last time yeah. but also I, I was the same the, the opening ceremony and I'd been to a rehearsal of the opening ceremony during the week they, they held back a few key moments but they, they rehearsed the whole thing and, and I was like okay this might be good after all because all we'd heard up to that point was stories about how it was going to cause transport chaos mm. and they weren't paying the volunteer they had a huge number of volunteers and obviously they weren't getting paid they were volunteers and it just like, seemed exploitative and blah 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 um, but during that opening ceremony it was interesting being on Twitter and watching the cynicism just just the le- the normal level of cynicism the background level just vanish mm. just just drain away to nothing and then very neatly during the closing ceremony it just filled back up <laughs> as more and more crappy uh, yeah. pop acts came on the closing ceremony was terrible it was awful and all of the cynicism came rushing back in to fill that void that had been filled yeah. with happiness but also Britain was weeks. doing really well and people were winning medals and everyone was happy and literally I just remember those three weeks everyone with a smile on their face and even if you weren't at the uh, Olympic venues, it was just an extraordinary thing to be a part of. And this one, for some reason, it just passed me by. And I realise it's a film podcast. We'll get to that in a second. But it just passed me by. But then, again, Britain is now starting winning medals. And the time difference means, you know, you can't really watch it through the day. You, you know, But last night, those two diving blokes won for, you know, doing the, the dive. And that was great. I, I don't know their names. But well done them. You know, they've done more than I'll ever do. Yes. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> uh, should we introduce the second person? Again, you've, you've heard her already. Uh, it's our gig queen who simply marvels at the athleticism on display in her favourite event. Here we go. The 10 metre synchronised shirtless Winchester. <laughs> it's Helen O'Hara. Hello. I don't think you'd put them together in any kind of synchronised team. Oh, because, I think you'd put them together. No, because I mean. Sam is like three inches taller than Dean. So it would be, you know, out of sync. Three inches, eh? Goodness. Um, who, is Goodness. Your fa- <laughs> who is your favourite Baz? That's really unimpressive. Uh, I'll get to that. Okay. I must know. You will know. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a. Is it, is it a film critic? I can't say. <laughs> I won't say. Uh, right. Time for a question. 
Uh, this is about films, not Olympics. Um, and it comes from Twitter, at Lats Gary Fitz. I imagine that's how you said it. Lats Gary Fitz! Okay. Because I imagine his name is Gary Fitz. And when he walks in the room, people go, that's Gary Fitz! Okay, yeah, sure. That's my reading of the situation anyway. And he asks, in his inimitable manner, what's the best scene slash film to be set on a beach? For me, and that's Gary Fitz, it has to be the opening of Private Ryan. That's pretty amazing. I, I do know a... Um uh, a historian who who really objects to the opening of Saving Private Ryan really? on the basis that the, the topography of the beach is wrong, which I think it is for most of the length of Omaha Beach. Although there are cliffy sections which are more in keeping with what we saw in the film, so you know. But if you're at Saint Laurent, for example, then it looks completely different. It's a much wider, shallower strand. This got a lot more geographical than I was expecting. <laughs> yeah, I was on that beach l- four weeks ago. Which beach? That one, Omaha. Actual Omaha Beach, Actual, not, Actual not Omaha. the one they use, which I believe was in Ireland. In Ireland, yeah. yeah. Was. Wexford, Wicklow, Waterford, yeah. one of those. One, one of the W's. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have a specific point to make. I just wanted to say that I was on that beach. Wow. I probably yeah. agree with you, though. It doesn't look a lot like in the film. But there are bits like further along. If you go away from Saint Laurent, you yeah. go further down the coast towards Pointe du Hoc, then it actually looks a bit more like that. I went um, up to Pointe Hoc, the, which the big cliffs yeah. that the Rangers scaled. That's a, there's a film about that, right? There's a computer game about that. Right. Which is weird because I played it. And it's a bit... What's it called? Oh, isn't that... I think it's Call of Duty. It could be Medal of Honour. It might be a Medal of Honour. Oh, I think there were some Medals of Honour awarded for that particular bit of the campaign. Okay, this is the bit where uh, a ranger team scaled the cliffs to take this one gun emplacement at the top. And they got there and there was incredibly harsh fighting. And by the time they actually, you know, got the very edge of the cliffs, their radio had been shot out. So they weren't able to radio for backup. So the people who were backing them up just went to join the main invasion force on the beach. And this tiny team of men were left there for more more than 24 hours fighting against the rest of the Germans who still surrounded this little point of rock that they'd taken um, and they had to pick up German German guns and you know obviously keep to keep fighting and by the time the rest of the allies came to relieve them because they heard these German guns they thought they were Germans and several of them were killed in friendly fire so the story goes so seriously nasty fighting Ooh, that's going to put point break into context yeah sorry was there was a question <laughs> okay via condios Bruh. the end of bra the end of point break <laughs> again not set on Bell's Beach but filmed in America, ah. I believe okay. it was filmed in uh, on Indian Beach, on Ecola State Park. Mm. Um, I found an interesting fact about this that the man who plays, who stands in for Patrick Swayze, because that wasn't Patrick Swayze, sure, um, surfing on that gigantic wave, was a man called Derek Donner, who also surfs at the very beginning of Die Another Day. It's not just him at Die Another Day, there's is three it? Because yeah, because yeah, okay. there's uh, Lance something Hamilton. L- Laird Hamilton. Laird Hamilton. Waterman Laird Hamilton, yeah. who's, um, who's a peer of, of Derek's, right. I believe. So yeah. he's the guy surfing. Yeah, he's the guy, one of the guys surfing. He's the guy surfing in 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 instead uh, in of uh, Patrick Swayze. Um, oh, right. Okay, I think he meant Die Another Day. Okay. And then Die Another also Day. Also in Another Both Day. Both those things. Right. He's wow. your go-to surfer. Mm. Um, so probably that that scene. Is that, that was a pretty awesome Is that scene. your favourite scene? No, I've got a long is that, list. Is that, okay, go on, hit me with like it. a Burt Lancaster subsection of this list. Yes. <laughs> From Here to Eternity. Yeah, and a local hero yeah. as well. Hero, yeah. Of course, the famous kiss in From Here to Eternity with Deborah Carr. But yeah. uh, love the scene in, in Local Hero mm. where he is kind of, he's kind of oil magnate 
has an epiphany and realizes it's just too beautiful to 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 drill so um decides to turn it into sort of a uh, kind of a marine wildlife reserve named after himself admittedly well, you know but you know you can't have it all you can take the man out of texas but you can't take the texas out of the man or yes, something I think that's probably a saying um I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like from here to eternity um i also like the takeoff of it in airplane mm-hmm. um if you remember that scene well, yeah. and him and him talking through his uh, his top secret mission it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes what, what time will you be back I can't, I can't tell, tell you, you it's classified, classified. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be coming in from the north <laughs> below their radar oh I love the suckers and Abrahams it's amazing because they also did a, an amazing beach scene in Top Secret as well uh, which is yes. a, a spoof of uh, Blue Lagoon I believe yeah. and um, which is phenomenal where uh, <laughs> where Hillary young Hillary and young Nigel, the Torsh, uh, get trapped on a desert island, and all sorts of mad weirdness happens to them. It's it's <laughs> it's a glorious, glorious scene. It sets up one of my favourite jokes in the film, which is, is the first time we're introduced to this character, Nigel, uh, who <laughs> is a young, bouncy-haired, blue-eyed, blonde, studly type who wears nothing but uh, a loincloth, a loincloth, and and a, a, a pearls, a string of pearls or something around his neck, or a string of teeth, like a shell necklace, like a shell, like a shell necklace. That's it. Um, and we're introduced to him here, and then. <laughs> We cut back to present day, and he walks out of the the office, and he's dressed in exactly the same manner. <laughs> it's it's just a just glorious, so you know it's glorious gag. Uh, I love that film so much. But from here to eternity is really interesting. We um we have a thing in the magazine called Story of the Shot, relative new edition to the magazine, and uh, in which you take iconic shots and you talk about when they were filmed, how they were filmed, their cultural impact. And the first one was from here to eternity. Mm-hmm. Inferior did a really nice deep dive into that movie, and it's just fascinating that censors had a real problem with it. Uh, in the in the book, they actually, you know, bumbuglies and, <gasps> but uh, mm. they couldn't do that. And of course, back in the days when everything was in black and white, um, and so they had censors on set to make sure that there were, you know, that uh, that, that Burt Lancaster's trunks stayed <laughs> um, at a certain level on his waist that they didn't come down beyond a certain point. I see. You know, but- not in case. Arousal happened, but just for decency, <clears throat> yeah. In case uh, no America became corrupted, <laughs> right? Well, you know, in fairness, Burt Lancaster in his prime would corrupt a lot of people. I think if you watch yeah. it again, though, that it's not. Yeah, he almost get washed away. Like they get hit by the sort of younger brother of that wave from Point Break. Mm. <laughs> it's a massive, <laughs> it's a massive sort of sandy catastrophe for them. I mean, it's romantic, obviously, obviously, but, but at the same time, yeah, yeah. it Par- looks like watery doom. Yeah, apparently it wasn't. It's just sand would get everywhere, and that's that's oh, the right thing. up there. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> did you say bump uglies? By the way, I did say bump uglies. I yes. Never heard that before. You've you never not? heard that before. I've known you a long time. I've never heard that expression. Not that you'd be the only person. I've never heard it from anyone. You've never heard no. the expression. Well, I'm but so because the beast of two backs, you've heard that, right? That's, that's Shakespeare, right? That's from Othello. Uh, well, now, now you have. But no one says that. <laughs> no one says bump up the uglies in Shakespeare. That is true, to the best of my knowledge. Shakespeare scholars, if you've read more of the sonnets, nobody in day to day life, I mean, by all means. But yeah, bump okay. uglies. People bump say uglies. bump uglies. I've heard it. Okay. Yeah. All right, cool. I learned something today. Um, I would like to nominate a, a further couple of contenders. Um, uh, the whole of the recent Pixar short, Piper, is set on a beach and it's That's, really charming. Mm-hmm. Um, the end of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is on a beach. Yes. And that's a pretty poor kind of a scene. We won't give it away Ooh. in case people haven't seen it. And uh, Some Like It Hot, some of the best scenes are on the beach. Uh, in particular, the, the flirting between uh, Marilyn Monroe and Tony Curtis as a millionaire. 
is on the beach and it's really charming. You mentioned like a film noir. I think film I noirs think. tend to like to be near beaches. Well, I think that's just because they're think, all associated with LA, right? Yeah, I guess that's it. I'm thinking Mildred Pierce. Yeah. Is that got, I don't know if it's got a beach scene. The postman only knocks twice. <laughs> We're doing well here. No, but they're close to the beach. They're, they're like in the a beach, car park yeah. near the beach. Yeah. So that sort of counts. I'm surprised you weren't straight in there with 400 blows. Well, that's next on my list. Write it down. Okay. Go yeah. on. Go on then. He what? literally Well, you've done it. You've yeah. stolen my... No, 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 no. Stolen my no, 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 no. Explain it. Explain it. Um, well, Jean-Pierre Leo, if you haven't seen uh, Le Catrasson Coup, uh, has escaped... <laughs> <laughs> Is there like a dick alarm? <laughs> Hit it now, Helen. Um, he's escaped from. Uh, he's bust out of the um, of the. Uh, oh, what would you call it? It's a. It's a. I think it's a. It's an Arkham, of, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's sort of Arkham. Much, yeah. It's a French Arkham as yeah. And um, he's escaped and he's run cross country. Um, and it's a sort of a. It's it's one of the classic defining moments of well cinematic defiance I guess he runs mm -hmm. to the sea and then he turns around and he realises that someone's been filming the whole thing <laughs> um, and stares stares into the camera um, and that's how the film I think we've talked about it in our freeze frames yeah, haven't we, we have, as well yeah. Yeah, um, we so it crosses it's, it's a big old cinematic pie chart that one it's uh, good one. I, when I, I, I think this question is an absolute belter because there's so many classic films that have scenes on beaches. You know, where people usually write in and go, you've missed something. And they probably will again. Oh, yeah. But I think that you can just... There's so many great movies that have great scenes on beaches. Uh, so Planet of the Apes, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of course. You know, the you know the end. I don't yes. want to give it away, but basically at the end when Charlton Heston <laughs> r realizes that uh, he's actually been on Earth all the, the whole time. And, and humanity's, wiped, humanity's been wiped out. Yeah. And apes have evolved to become the dominant yeah. species. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah. in the credits roll but don't give it away uh, that that scene uh, that's a great scene and it, you know Jaws has many great scenes on mm. beaches it has one of the greatest shots in cinema history on the beach which is of course the, the bit where Brody scene. takes a bite of mm -hmm. the sandwich oh yes yeah, the reverse dolly um, <laughs> it's also uh, on the beach of course where the phrase that's some bad hat Harry mm -hmm. uh, is, yeah. is said which is Brad Singer's production company name um, what else have we got written under here under the skin recently that's a uh, yeah. A hell of, that's yes. A, that's a oh hell of, my lord, you're yeah, right. I'm surprised a, you're yet to mention the Shawshank Redemption. The end. It's of. A, it was next on my oh. list. Next on my list. Um, John Carpenter's The Fog mm -hmm. has a great introduction at the beginning, where John Houseman playing uh, scary old dude Mr. Macon, uh, who is not in the rest of the film at any point, uh, sets up the scene with a really creepy prologue, which is meant to take five minutes, but actually only takes two and a half. How about Doctor No? How about Doctor No? With the bikini. Mm -hmm. How about it? How about it? Oof. Yeah, yeah. Ursula Andress, indeed, stepping out of the water, and then of course you know Bond's drifting out ever since with Halle Berry stepping out of the water, and then Daniel Craig and his tidy blueies uh, stepping out of the uh, the water as well. That is correct. Royal, so, yeah. how about yeah. don't mess with the Zohan? Speaking of the classics, uh, now you're talking. Yeah. I mean, now you're speaking words my lingo. Are, words are coming out of his mouth. He's barbecuing sure. in the buff, and they're playing. They're playing. Um, what's it? You know, ping pong. Ping pong. Your, your hand, okay. your hand gestures are disconcerting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's just he's just barbecuing a two-headed stingray, and uh, all his like, all his kind of hot bikini-clad ladies are around, um, 
and then he gets called off by the Israeli Secret Service. Huh. It's a lot better than I've just described. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. You Don't Mess With Sohan is the last great Adam Sandler comedy. It is fantastic. And it came oh. out in 2008, which which says a lot about his output um, since then. But it's got John Turturro. It's really funny. It's have you not seen it? I have seen it. It's really That's funny. That's why I'm having trouble believing you. It genuinely is really funny. Go and check it out. You Don't Mess With Sohan. We've gone yeah. off the rails It's very, here. very good. Uh, but you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned Shawshank. I did. Shawshank is such a lovely uh, final just series of shots Morgan Freeman's you know voiceover I hope I hope to make it across the border Uh, I hope to see my friend and shake his hand I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams I hope Mm. Um, that's fused my brain Um, I love that but the the, that was actually uh, a very last minute edition did you know that? Mm -hmm. that 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 shot was not in the original movie and it was I believe the head of Castle Rock who suggested to Frank Darabont that it needed yeah. something else. It needed to go out on a different note because at one point it just ended with Red getting on the bus and driving off and it ended with the same thing. It ended with, you know, I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope it ended with that. But it didn't end with Andy Dufresne on the beach standing in his boat and looking up and seeing Red and their hug mm. and the catharsis and everyone crying and the big sweeping swell of Tom Thomas Newman's music. It didn't end with that. So that was a very, very late addition to the movie. So well done. Good decision. You yeah. haven't mentioned Chariots of Fire. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on then. Oh, Chariots of Fire. Okay. Okay. <laughs> also the nickname of X-Roy Belique star Martin of Fire, um, I believe. They call him Chariots. They do. And uh, yeah. So this is one of hell of a sports and film podcast. Isn't it? Yeah, wow. We're really so mixing our, our disciplines. I really have a thing for, uh, have you seen Sonatine? The Takashi Kitano for the uh, yeah way way back Yakuza the when they all get sent off to a beach by the higher ups in the crime organisation yeah, and they're yeah, just yeah. kicking cans basically for a large period of time trying to amuse themselves and there's something really fun about the idea of these like hardcore killers just pissing about <laughs> just trying to pass the time they do like impromptu beach sumo and there's a bit where they sort of like speed ramp it and they're all kind of doing Benny Hill moves it's it's a really weird but kind of interesting piece of filmmaking it has that very famous shot of um, Takashi himself, you know, holding the pistol to oh, his yes, head. Oh, yes, yes. Um, that one. And Black Stallion. I know you're a fan of Black Stallion too, Am I? You? you love Black Stallion. Do I? You will do when I've <laughs> finished with you. <laughs> okay. Um, when Boy, and, Boy and, and, and said Stallion are washed up on a beach together after a shipwreck and uh, they, they bond oh, in the sand. Okay. Sure. Um, and it's shot by Caleb Deschanel. I remember and it's beautiful. you talking to me about the cinematography recently it's a I think that's why movie. we've yeah yes. I think that's why we're pretend you're potentially associating it with me because I don't know that I've definitely seen really it. no we sh- I shall remedy that yes I by all means I shall, I shall borrow it because I think you'll like it um Castaway maybe I quite um, like yeah. Castaway mm-hmm. um I th- I actually it's one of those films that I at the time I was a bit like eh that was fine and but every time I watch it again I'm like oh this is really good yeah but you know Tom Hanks for two hours on his own happy days uh, we should also mention the Tomond before people write in angrily uh, yeah. saying, uh, which again was the story of the shot. In it was. Yeah. We, we will Very we will do films that aren't don't just have scenes on beaches in that in that segment at some point. Um, and I, I have to mention the classic schlocky horror film Blood Beach, which stars <laughs> Burt Young. I think it's nineteen eighty, uh, and that's a Jaws rip off in which the monster literally is under the sand. It's so bit, like Tremors, a bit like Tremors, but much shitter. Because uh-huh. oh, Tremors is obviously amazing. Tremors is awesome. Yeah. Tremors is one of Phil's one thousand greatest films of all time. Oh uh, yeah. If you go, if, if Phil um, took up the gauntlet thrown down by Edgar Wright recently, where, where Edgar, I don't know if you saw this, you saw this obviously. I've, 
I think everyone's seen this, but Edgar uh, Wright released a list of his 1,000 favorite movies um, on Mubi um, and got a huge amount of shit for it. Despite the fact <laughs> it's his favorite films, guys. Uh, so Phil took up the gauntlet and it's done the same. So go and check it out. Is where it is it? Better where, than where, mine? Can, where can people? It's on Mubi. I, good question. I guess my Twitter probably is the input. I don't know how you search you should, for you it. Should pin, or you, should, um, you should pin that. That's not a bad idea. I might do that. You should have just your yeah, pin it tweet. almost destroyed me. It, it's mm. a lot of films. A thousand. I thought about doing it, but who, mine would be embarrassing beyond belief. So I. Mine's know. got some some real. <laughs> yeah, some real foo foo on there. I think I, I think Escape to Victory's on there. I can't well, you, stand yeah. by that in a court of law. No, but it's your favourite films. It's my favourite films. films. So it's you know stuff you love as a kid, yeah. stuff that's just absolute bobbins, but you love it anyway. Yeah, um, and the Cotre Sans Coup. Now, did Absolutely you do yours in order of preference because Edgar Wright did his in chronological order, which is much easier and and means that you don't get as much shit thrown at you. Although you... obviously he did. Yeah, it looks really. If you put all the sort of silent films at the top you look really clever because <laughs> um but unfortunately if you put them if you just put them in in any order in my, the way my brain works it just like fires out seven michael Caine films in a row it just look, you look <laughs> a little bit like you've got some sort of movie charrettes so um if you really want to do it properly i guess you have to make a list first and then put them input them oh. carefully starting oh. with the most recent films and going back i don't know if i could do yeah, this that or like an awful lot of work you can petition movie to fix their sort of algorithm or whatever you'd call it so you can resort things you, can, you can't resort it do you want yeah. to go Helen you should do it I'd love to see what people's films <sighs> are so I can watch them at them. I don't like lists at the best of times although actually I do have a five favourite films of this year so far but I don't usually I, I can't what be bothered um, at the moment it's Hunt for the Wilder People number one um, number two I've forgotten number three was Civil War mm-hmm. number four Love and Friendship, and number five, mm-hmm. Sing Street, which means number two must be Hail Caesar. Okay. Really? Yeah. Really? I freaking loved Hail Caesar. Ooh, That's got a beach scene. We're going to have an interesting conversation come the uh, Review of the Year podcast. That's interesting. Did not know that. Oh, yeah. I like that film, but wow. Is it too late to mention El Cid, or have you moved on? No, we're still on this. We're still we're technically on. speaking, we're still on this question. In fact, I'm, I'm going to say one more thing okay. after you say El Cid. Go, El Cid. But um, <laughs> is it the, is that the the battle scene? Does that not have the the huge continuity error where they're like it cuts and there's like a, an Uber driving alongside? <laughs> <laughs> is it somebody wearing a watch or something? Is it that? I, I can't I, remember. But yeah, um, I I just remember the the scene of riding up to the walls of Toledo in in El Cid. Um, I quite quite like that film. Is that because you're the only person that can pronounce the word Toledo? Probably. Toledo, que bien. <laughs> There's, there's, there's so many, but we were talking about this before we uh, we went on air. And um, superhero films, weirdly enough, this new batch of superhero films really seems to have avoided the beach, which is weird because you got all those blokes with the big physiques and they could, you know, walk down the beach and Helen's on Golly. board with this, I can see already. But we were saying X-Men First Class obviously has uh, the, the end battle is on the beach in Cuba, but I wouldn't say that's a great scene. Um, and then, of course, Stanley's very first cameo in the Marvel movies not the universe but mm. was in X-Men on the beach oh yeah with the with Senator yeah the Senator with um, him I've forgotten his name Kelly. oh the shame Kelly Senator Kelly, Sh- Senator Kelly. thank Senator you Kelly. Um, don't have a wicked tongue Senator that, that one <laughs> um, uh, so if you're listening superhero creator people Justice League's got to have a scene in the beach right Justice League because they Aquaman Oh, okay. I guess fishy bloke. Sure. Yeah, that that he. I mean, you would think he would go to the beach, but it seems more like he's like the 
the waterfront, the tough docks. Seems more like his uh, métier so far. Mm. His sorry, his uh, that's that's the wrong word. His um, environment, anyway. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Uh, do you know? I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and I'm gonna say that next year's Baywatch may have a, a scene or two set in a beach. So what? Just come on, keep Chris. and peel. Come on. Oh, right. Captain oh. Marvel. If she was based at Miramar, for example, uh-huh. yeah. that's quite near the beach. That would make sense. She could, that could have a beach thing. If you're listening, yes, Marvel, and I know you are. I, I don't. Oh, contact. That's another good one. See, contact. we could do this all day. We could do this all day. Uh, yeah, but we shouldn't, because we should get on with the actual podcast. Sure, let's do that. So apologies for that, because we've spent 25 minutes now talking about the opening question and the Olympics and all sorts of other unrelated gubbins. Um, so it's time to move on. Uh, if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast and treat it with the love and respect afforded to that's Gary Fitz. Oh my God. Uh, then do send him in. We're on Twitter at Empire Magazine is the handle. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us at Empire Magazine. And we are, of course, an email podcast at empireonline.com. Right. Lord love a duck. I'm trying to get a new catchphrase going. Mm. Lord love a duck. It's time for movie news. Mary Poppins. <laughs> um... So what's happening? Um, there were lots of exciting trailers this week, and I know it's not the best format for trailers, but here we go anyway. Um, Resident Evil, the final chapter, uh, which was hilarious. Uh, it's sort of... The, the poster seems to be very much Hunger Games in style, and the trailer then is very Mad Max Fury Road in style. So uh, that was that was entertaining and probably, let's face it, more coherent than the film. Um, so I quite enjoyed that uh, new ca- trailer for Luke Cage I haven't seen either of these well uh, I don't know what you're doing with your t- day unless well, you're my, like working or something I'm, but honestly I'm working and my family are over and my, my sister's visiting so I don't have time well I can highly recommend the Luke Cage trailer which makes it look extremely good I'm very excited about that so um, mm-hmm. and a first look at uh, this is more of a teaser than a full on trailer but Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner are starring uh, with Forrest Whitaker in Arrival um, uh, from uh, Denis Villeneuve and that looks really super good uh, I'm very excited about that does one. it look good I haven't yeah, seen it she's, uh, she's yeah. the languages expert who's brought in to communicate with aliens who have arrived on earth for the first time so it's kind of a Ooh. culture clash I think it'll be a very thinky sort of a sci-fi emphasising the communication aspect rather than the sort of ooh technology aspect but um, I think that'll be really interesting so I'm looking forward to that very much mm-hmm also known, of course, as Lois Lane and Hawkeye talked to some aliens. So that's—I <laughs> mean, but that's nothing new for them. They've done that, so yeah. you know, this is. Uh, yeah, this is yeah. a good point. It's <laughs> a very good point. They should draw upon their past experience. Indeed. Uh, but yeah, there's there's, uh, there's 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 other stuff. There's other stuff. There's other stuff yeah. that happens. So there's um, a hot rumor in town mm. that Brad Pitt is trying to woo David yeah. Fincher to direct World War Said World War Said Two. Um, uh, which is which would be interesting. Obviously, they've worked together before on a number of films, very good films, uh, but all you would say, uh, sort of very personal Fincher-esque movies, and bringing Fincher on to do a big budget franchise movie. Well, it's it's not like Fincher's <clears throat> ever been burned by doing a big budget franchise sequel before. I, I'm yeah. sure he'll leap aboard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, I don't know. I, I mean, my, yeah. mm. it's a nice idea. It's never going to happen. Well, don't, don't say that. You know, the, the, you know, those guys know each other very well and Brad Pitt may be going, look, uh, you know, this, because obviously the last time around with Mark Forster, there were, there were, <laughs> there were issues 
um, maybe this time don't worry we'll, we'll come on we'll do it together we'll have a bit of fun you know it'll be, it'll be okay I'll protect you from yeah, you're, yeah. you're David Fincher the studio's not going to fuck with you so let's, let's just come on and do this thing well, it's, be Pitt's, fun. it's Pitt's production company isn't it so that probably it immunises him slightly from the Aliens 3 experience a little bit maybe but I mean he's you know he can do what he wants Fincher mm. they're not going to interfere with, with his with it. But yeah he's, he's, in- he's in a very different position now than he was on on Alien 3. And certainly a different position than Mark Forster was on yeah, the first that's movie true. as well. Um, but I mean, equally, he's got to, unlike, he's got to pick up the strands of the first film. He has to have probably enjoyed and liked that one to be... Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's less of a thing. I mean, if you think about it, the first film took, I think I counted it at the time and I find five elements that it had taken from the book, including the title mm. uh, and a mention of an Indian general, who's, of course, a figure in the books. But literally, there's almost nothing from the book in that film. So you've still got almost the entire book to play with. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting. So they they could do more with it. The Paris scenes. The Paris scenes in the underground. The Are you underground kidding me? Paris scenes. And just yes. the fight back across the US. That yes. sort of really disciplined way of fighting against zombies. I liked the first film. I had to say. I did too. I liked. It. I really I, liked the first film. But yeah, it awesome. wasn't remotely the book. No, it wasn't. Well, and it also did that thing that we've seen quite a lot of, which is it put the cut scenes out and then put them in the final credits in a sort of a montage mm. I think Ghostbusters has done that as well recently yeah. so it, it was a film that was sort of unsure of itself right to the release date but, I, um, I think it'll be interesting to see the reaction to uh, The Girl With All The Gifts which is a zombie movie coming up, sort of zombie movie Infected um, and uh, I think that's almost a, a that's one of the best zombie movies I've seen in years, probably since 28 Days Later so I wonder if, if stuff like that is going to cause a bit of a, a rethink on something like World War Z the sequel if there is such a thing I, I'm just intrigued by that I, I tweeted last night that even despite the Fincher news that I kind of feel that the window has closed a little bit on this I, I feel I'm, I'm happy to be proved wrong I'm, I'm, if Fincher comes on this thing it becomes a different proposition com- completely mm. Juan Antonio Bayona is a fantastic fantastic filmmaker but he doesn't have the cachet that Fincher does at the moment just in ter- pure terms of clout and box office uh, prowess all that sort of stuff um, he may well have after Jurassic World 2 um, but I don't know. It just it just felt like the, its moment had come and gone. That the movie came out, it was a fairly big hit by the you know four hundred million I think worldwide, just on the cusp of that that figure that you need to get the sequel going. As Ghostbusters found out this week, and maybe we'll talk about that in a second as well. Um, but it just, it came out in two thousand thirteen, and I just feel that you need to capitalize. You needed to have World War Z two out by this year. Yeah, this latest. summer. Yeah. That, and I think that was the original plan. I Certainly when I was on set of Monster Calls with uh, with Bayona, he was working on what were said too with a few to stopping production on Monster Calls because they needed to stop, uh, they needed to finish early to get the effects done on Monster Calls, at which point he would then shoot World War said too, edit World War said too, and have it out in cinemas this summer before a Monster Calls. And then he would resume work on Monster Calls. That was the plan. Obviously, things happened. Maybe you know, it didn't quite. Go- it obviously didn't go according to plan. He left the project. But uh, I feel when that happened, unless you get a director in almost immediately, yeah, to work with Stephen Knight on the script and to develop it, then the moment has come and gone. But your Fincher changes everything. But I still feel that if you get this, if if they get this film, I was reading the story here it says with a few to start in shooting next year, which means it'll be out twenty eighteen, which is five years after the last movie. And I kind of feel in this day and age, it's two or three years tops. 
It does feel that way. I mean, the only thing, and what I was sort of trying to say was, if you go back and almost do an entirely new mm. story, it's less about it being a sequel, it's more about it being another World War Z story. I think that could maybe be... Mm. And I think, actually, to be honest, realistically, it would be Fincher's approach to a large extent. So, um, so that might work better. I wonder if the success of The Walking Dead affects <clears throat> their thinking on it. Yeah. It, it is, you know, you could argue that it's a sort of a... It's a bridging device for the zombie zombie properties that are and, out there, and it maybe. Is, and it is one of the most successful TV shows in the world right now, mm. no question about it. So, so, so absolutely. About yeah, five years be. has been five years filled with zombies. Yeah. So you could argue that it may, it may protect it from your uh, theory, which I agree with, potentially. I'd like to see it anyway. I think it would be... I mean, I, it doesn't strike me as an obvious Fincher, Fincher mm. movie, but it would be pretty awesome, I think. Of course, this guy has been linked to... 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He's been linked to all sorts of big-budget blockbusters and franchise movies. And, I, you know, I, I don't know for, for a fact, but I'd be amazed if the likes of Marvel and DC hadn't at least tried to talk to him at some point and gone, would you like to do something? <laughs> well, yes, but I want complete control. Okay, oh. bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, thanks a lot, David. Um, but I will say this, on the IMDb app, which I'm using right now, uh, and they have him listed as director. So that's that's well, it. Well, that's <laughs> it. It's, it's definitive. <laughs> um, should we talk about Ghostbusters? Because it was. Um, it, it looks like it's it's uh, it looks like it's going to close uh, its run with about two hundred million, two hundred twenty-five million worldwide, and there are lots of pieces this week saying that it's it is now officially a flop. Uh, I've even seen the word bomb used. It's gonna it's gonna lose a lot of money. And um, a story this morning broke that it looks like the sequel that they had announced previously will now not be going ahead. So I, I feel it's a I feel it's a real shame. I think it's a, it's a very funny movie. I think you know we talked about this a lot in the podcast. It got a lot of shit from a lot of shits, um, and it didn't deserve it. Um, and well done them. I had someone gloating on my Twitter feed yesterday. Blocked his ass. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> um, uh, gloating because it, it didn't do as much as even its opening weekend suggested. Yeah, because even in the opening weekend wasn't that great. But you know, uh, I had a Twitter conversation with several people, and you know, we we know what we're talking about with this box office stuff. And it tends to be if a film opens with fifty five million, a hundred million around the world, it tends to do three, three and a half times that multiplier, three and three and a half times its opening weekend. Ghostbusters didn't. It went off a cliff. Um, any reasons why? Was it just taken down by by this misogynist campaign? I, th- I think or- there's a little bit of that. There was so much bad bad word about it before it came out. I think its defenders all went out the first weekend and saw it, mm-hmm. um, and then but and then came came back and probably recommended it a bit, but not enough to offset all that bad bad publicity. I think the people who were inclined to like it went out that first weekend and, and watched it. And then, uh, and then that was kind of it, maybe. And maybe the maybe the reviews weren't positive weren't enough, glowing to get people enough. In yeah, I think that's possible. And I also that. think maybe um, I do think that men and women tend to watch films differently, and I think it may find its place further down the line. Um, I think you know there are Pitch Perfect, for example, the first Pitch Perfect was not a huge hit in cinemas. It was massive on DVD, home entertainment, all that kind of stuff. Later on, that's what led to a massive box office for the second one. Um, so I wonder if there'll be a, an afterlife of some sort if it, if it does extremely well at home. But I don't know. It doesn't mm. seem likely at the moment. I think it was Zool. You think so? It could have been Zool. Yeah. Destroyed yeah. it. I hear it. Uh, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I wish it had done better, I have to say. I went and saw it at the cinema and I, I enjoyed it the second time. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it does seem like it's kind of 
ground to hold this idea which is a shame because i think that they've those four of the those four characters have a lot to offer i mean you could argue that a lot of the stuff around it is pretty repetitive of what we've already seen mm-hmm. um and it wouldn't be the only kind of big studio movie that that's that's guilty of that um at the current moment but i once you've freed yourself from the sort of the setup um it could go off in really fun weird zany directions i enjoyed Kate McKinnon especially and I was looking forward to seeing more of her Hemsworth is hilarious in it um, Leslie Jones copped an incredibly large amount of abuse yeah. um, in, in hideous ways and you know having been through all of that it would have been nice if the movie could have come again and just breathed a bit you know, given the opportunity away from all that toxic yeah. kind of uh, abuse online. I just, I just feel sorry. Yeah, the whole Leslie Johnson was just absolutely reprehensible in you know, ways I can't even begin to describe. It was just awful, awful, awful. And, it, you know, and this leaves a nasty taste in mouth because it feels like they won. You know, it feels like they set it to take the movie down and they took the movie down. Mm. And that leaves a nasty taste in the mouth. Uh, but, you know, I was I was thinking today, Nick's, um, Nick Desemlian's feature on the, on the film, film in the magazine... You know, started off in the headquarters of Ghost Corps at Sony, which is the 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 company they had set up to with Ivan Reitman to uh, oversee a further expansion of this franchise. And I do wonder what's going to happen now with that. You know, is 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 it now being dismantled even as we speak, or are they going to still try and make this work? I mean, there was talk of uh, an all male version that would never work, uh, and uh, you know, an animated movie and, and maybe some other stuff going on as well so I wonder animation could be great I mean it's uh, Sony has their animation division which did such great work on Goosebumps earlier Mm -hmm. this year yes there could be something there but um, but yeah it's a bit of a bummer for now Um, hey speaking of uh, sequels I kind of feel like this is um, possibly payback to the Ghostbusters haters you know okay you win this one but the lose is that you're getting a Man of Steel sequel so you know ha uh yeah, Man of Steel sequel is apparently still in the works. We thought it it had mutated into Batman v Superman: Colon Dawn of Justice, uh, but in practice, it it, ex- it still exists as as some kind of Man of Steel two, which will probably have a different name by the time it comes to the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would think that him being dead might be a problem, but obviously not because he is on set of Justice League already. So uh, we know that he's going to be okay. He's alive. He's alive. Are you well, kidding me? I'm pretty sure he's on set of Justice League because otherwise Henry Cavill turning up at the Suicide Squad premiere seems like an awful coincidence. Yeah, he was in town. He just decided He was to just in town. Yeah, yeah, just, just in. in training still though. Have some laughs, which would be a first. <laughs> yeah. Um hmm. So yeah. And Zack Snyder is 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 being lined up to direct this one. Do we think? We don't know. It's too early to say. But that's the rumor. I potentially. Yeah. So there you go. Unless um, they can persuade David Fincher. <laughs> or just I don't know just just someone who's a big Superman fan would be great yeah. well you know George Miller was obviously the one, the one who was linked I don't know I mean there does seem to be a shift publicly in what they're saying about Superman within that universe uh, a shift back towards Superman great rather than Moby Emo Man yes um, and if they get that then they could work. We do like a bit of Superman. And I do like a lot of Man of Steel. I think it goes off the rails at, at the end, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. Fingers crossed. Definitely. Down the line. See what happens with that one. Uh, and speaking of the DCEU, the DC Comics Extended Universe, um, Jason Momoa 
is apparently in talks for the lead role in The Crow. Now, this makes him... Uh, how many actors have we had in talks for the lead in The Crow? 57. 50, he's, num- he's passenger 57 I'm for 58 the on the list. Yes. <laughs> wow, yeah. that is a, that's a step. That's from Jason Momoa to, to you. I've seen Corin's list. That, that, sorry, just, I, I just wrote to clarify, that's Jason I, Momoa and then you. Yeah, I wrote myself on the list. Ah, well, that explains a lot. Who did you cross out? Uh, famed newsreader Michael Burke. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be an awesome crow. Hang on, hang on. Let's let's be clear. Jason Momoa is quite a lot of steps above famed newsreader Michael Burke. Um, I'm 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 a big fan of his, uh, partly because he's super pretty, but also because <laughs> you know he's. I think he'd be quite good at that sort of hulking, menacing character who doesn't maybe have to say a lot. I mean, it's not a million miles from what he did in uh, in Game of Thrones. I'm looking at probably a few here. more yeah. few more clothes. I think, he's, I think he, he could do it. He's certainly got the, the black and white hair, this sort of weird... Sp- oh, wait, that's actually a drawing from the crow. Um, oh, that's Jason Momoa. Yes. He yeah. could do it. He could definitely he could do, do it. it. He could do it. It's interesting. So it's been Luke Evans and Jack Houston yeah. and all sorts of different people have been linked with it. Mark Wahlberg, even at one point, which would have been that awful would have been, beyond belief. That would have been... I mean, that... What? Really? He was... Yeah. He was linked with it. I don't know whether he was ever Didn't cast, they see Max Payne? <laughs> uh, Max Payne by name Max Payne by nature um, yeah so this is interesting so Karen Hardy looks like he's still involved with The Crow because there was a whole lot of going back and forth on whether he would be directing The Crow um, which is of course his dream movie as anyone who's listened to the podcast before Karen's been on the, the show a couple of times uh, so uh, that's exciting news and here's another one in the eye for those Ghostbusters take her down hater people um, Ocean's 8 is going ahead and yeah. added a number of people to the cast yesterday. So this is the it's not it's not a reboot. It's a it's a continuation. It's a sequel uh, to the Ocean's movies in which Sandra Bullock will play Danny Ocean's sister, who masterminds an art heist. I believe is that is that right? I heard something yesterday, and it may not be true that this is set at the Met Gala. Okay. Because girls like dresses. I don't know. I'm I was a bit disturbed <laughs> by that, but. Um, yeah, girls who like dresses. Don't you spend half your time on f- fuck yourself or whatever it is? Go fuck yourself. Go fuck yourself. My, is- my big, what was it? No, it is called Go, okay, fuck, go yourself. fuck Yourself. Yeah, okay. it's a it's a yeah. great website that discusses girls who like dresses. Clothes. Yeah, but that's not just boys be- like balls. Well, this is this is just an immutable truth of the universe. Um, so you, you also like the Met Ball? Is that what you're saying? You like you like dressing up? And, I don't know what it is, but I'm fully on board. Okay, is that the one where people dress up in really weird clothes? Really weird clothes. Okay. Super weird. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. Go Fuck Yourself has a field day with it every year. <laughs> that's that's a great one. So Gary Ross is going to direct it. So the cast um, included previously Sandra Bullock. They have uh, they have Kate Blanchett with the budget. Uh, Mindy Kaling. Yes. Helena Bottom Carter. Good. There's three Oscar winners there right alone. Uh, right alone? Right alone. Right alone. Uh, and they've added the fourth in Anne Hath- on Hathaway. Uh, Good. They've, they've added Rihanna, who is certainly going to become an EGOT at some point. Seems um, likely. And the rapper Aquafina, uh, who was in Neighbours 2, her real name, says here, is Nora Lum. I am not aware of her body of work, but... She was funny in Neighbours 2. Oh, I know her. Yeah, you, you seen her picture. Oh, yeah, I know her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, she's very good. That isn't seven yet, is it? That isn't eight? Who else? Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's seven. That's seven. So apparently Elizabeth Banks is still in the running. Um... And I don't understand how Gary Ross is making a movie that doesn't have Jennifer Lawrence in it. So, you know. Uh, I mean, I feel like we're okay, though. We're doing all right for Oscar winning. If you could put Jennifer Lawrence in your film, 
<laughs> Put Jennifer Lawrence in your You're film. You're thinking of Don Cheadle. Goodness. Well, he, he might be in the film. You he never could. know. <gasps> that would be great. No, that accent should never be heard again <laughs> on the big I'm, screen. I am a little surprised, and I don't quite know why, but I feel like Helen Mirren should be in there somewhere, and she isn't, and I'm a bit upset by that. Okay. But I'm taking great comfort from the fact that she's in Fast and Furious 8, and then we saw a picture of her with Vin Diesel just this week. There was oh. there was Fast and Furious 8 controversy Ooh. this week. Did you see that? I did see that. Um, where The Rock accused at least one member of the male cast he specifically didn't include the, the he singled ladies. out Johnson singled out a male member a male member of the cast Chris important to finish that phrase it's, yes uh, as a candy ass <laughs> I mean as some of us were, were sort of talking about this on Twitter can you imagine if The Rock were angry or disappointed with you can you imagine <laughs> how would you go on I just I can't even imagine it and somebody out there right now is dealing with that yeah Someone, yeah, is quivering behind Someone curtains. Someone is just, oh. Yeah, yeah, I woke up, I saw the headline, Johnson unloads on candy asses. <laughs> oh, God. I clicked in the story and I was disappointed at what I found. But, uh, yeah, this is uh, this is interesting for, you know, or it could be a very, very savvy way of playing the publicity game. It because could be. Because now people will be. be going, hey, you know, next year if he's paired with someone... Well, yes. well, we know he said that there's a scene where this com- came in handy, that he was able to mm. use this anger yeah. in a scene. So if there's any scene where Hobbs is angry with a person, That's you know that person scene. goes on the shortlist. That was probably my favourite bit about his whole Instagram post was when he said, um, there's going to be a scene in this movie where I'm acting angry, but I'm actually more realistically angry than I am when I'm acting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, where to call yourself out? Um, right, so but, should, yes. should we run through yes. the suspects? Vin Diesel. The, st- <laughs> <laughs> the Stath. As Deckard Shaw. Mm-mm. Now, they've worked together before. Yeah. There's a lot of animosity between those two characters. We know that. Their storylines are probably going to have them collide. But the state doesn't seem like a candy ass. No, but I reckon no. what he's, what's happening here is, you remember he was an Olympic diver? Yeah. His mind is off the game at the moment. It's off the game. He's That's thinking it. he wants to be in Rio, <laughs> diving with those guys that won gold. <laughs> and the rock has clocked him. Yeah. Gazing wistfully off in the distance. I'm just thinking about diving, in it. And he's like, you're not supposed to be wearing... Speedos today. Stath. <laughs> you map it. Could be him. But right. Could be him. Finn Finthony Diesel. To give him his full Vincenzo name. Vincenzo Diesel. Finn Diesel. <laughs> uh, Diesel. Yes. It can't be him. Could be. There are oh rumours. There are rumours already afoot. People have put names to paper. I don't want to believe that someone who plays that many computer games could be a candy ass. What is a candy ass? I don't know. <laughs> I'll tell you who's not a candy ass. Who's that? Kurt Russell. No, definitely there's not. There's no way. I think we can rule him out immediately. I don't think there's been a human I'm being on this planet. I'm just going to cross him off that list. Who's had a beef with uh, with Kurt Russell. All right, here's the... What about that uh, that bloke from Game of Thrones? Christopher Hivju. Wait a second. Isn't he, isn't he roughly the size of our house? It, but the, the rock is the size of Two our, houses. our tower. Wait a yeah. second. Yes. Kurt Russell Yeah. does have previous on doing crazy stuff on set. Some Roland Emmerich talk about him on Stargate during those sort of desert scenes with all of the ancient Egyptian types, buzzing them with a light aircraft or some such at very low altitude, scaring the crap out. Yeah, oh. yeah, that's definitely a thing that happened on that set. So who knows? Perhaps yeah, but still, look, for our own safety, I'm still going to cross out 
Kurt Russell. You crossed him. You literally yeah, crossed I'm literally crossing him. We can't include Kurt Russell. Okay. Even the thing got on well with Kurt Russell. Uh, Christopher Hivju, Hivju, Hiv, him, him, the bloke from Game of Thrones. I just, I just think that no man that large is gonna is gonna have yeah. a beef. I beg your pardon. Just generally. Well, <laughs> teach us something about the the male anatomy. Um, <laughs> I, I imagine that man's got a lot of beef. Um, oh my goodness! What's happening? What are you even talking about? Ugly um, bits, right? Yes. <laughs> he's. Yeah. Lucas yep. Black, as Sean Boswell, he's back. Oh, he's, he's back. Hey, really? Maybe he came on set and he gave it the big "I am." I I I don't know that he would. Uh, he seems like a nice fella. Tyrese Gibson as Roman Pierce. No, he seems f- very far too professional. Laid back. Okay. Ludicrous, Chris Bridges. <laughs> I, I feel like he'd be just hanging out with Tyrese, just like trading banter mm. or bants, as you would call it, Chris. Uh, yeah, I would. I don't know. <laughs> Why did you make that? that I don't voice? know. I, I, you think it's you? It think could be him. You're calling out Lee. So. I'm not calling him out. Okay, okay, you just want to make that clear. Because I've met him, and he's surprisingly massive. Is he? Yeah. Uh, it's ludicrous how big he is. All right, Roy Coulter. As prison guard, the beloved character of returning to the franchise. Are we getting down okay, the list yeah. a bit no, here, Chris? Okay, no, we're, we're, Scott Eastwood. Ooh. <sighs> no. Well, we just saw him in Suicide Squad. Um, I don't know. I mean, but the thing is, right, if you've picked a fight with Scott Eastwood, wouldn't you then get in trouble with his dad? <laughs> and wouldn't you maybe not want to do that? And The Rock did post uh, a, a while ago saying how excited he was to be working with Scott as a big fan of his dad. Yes. So would he call out Scott Eastwood? I don't know. <clears throat> Right. Well, that's it. I've run out of blokes. Unless, of course, you, you count the wonderfully named... Where is it? Justin Sangs as Kid in Park. <laughs> I thought it was Kid in Play, but... Um, yeah, I think, I think, I think uh, he's been... Imagine if it is him. Imagine yeah, just, if you just can't get him into the park. He's never in the park when you need him. <laughs> right. I mean, that would be harsh if he's just picked a massive Instagram beef with just some random extra. <laughs> One can only hope. <laughs> God, I hope this is, I'm looking forward to the DVD extras already. This is going to be amazing. Well, I want to see this film even more than I already did, and I wanted to see it more than any other film. Yes. So there we go. When he comes into deep press for this movie, can we go through that list again with him and make him do? We haven't had him on the podcast yet. He hasn't deigned to come into our great depressing box of of misery. So maybe we can lure him in for the next for the next one. We'll lay out a trail of not candy to uh, to get him in. Yeah, protein. Ooh, that's Chicken how breasts. we do it. That's how we do it. Cod. We do a series of signs, <laughs> directions, going candy ass in here. <laughs> Man, you want to beat up in here, and he <gasps> and that's how we yeah. get him in, and we get him in, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. and he he comes in enraged, yes. and then he sees us, and he's instantly mollified, and he he's instantly <laughs> mollified. <laughs> that sounds like a risk. I'll be honest, Chris. You'd be in charge of mollif- mollification, and Helen and I would be in charge of hiding. <laughs> <laughs> he walks in here, yeah, just the veins <laughs> popping on his <laughs> neck, and he's just his his thunderwear is just <laughs> yeah. And then he sees he sees Ugh. us, and instantly well, he just slips in into <laughs> into charismatic leading right. man Selma movie kind of mode. Okay, we got a big sign up that just says, "You've got the boot, we've got the ass." <laughs> <laughs> that sounds wrong. I am just going to veto that sign. <laughs> right. Um, should we have a guest? Yes, please. <laughs> Not the Rock. Let's have a guest. Let's have a guest. Um, 
He is a wonderfully stylish, flamboyant Australian director who's carved out a career on the big screen. It's a man behind the likes of Strictly Ballroom, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Did I tell you I saw that the other day? Yes, you uh, did. Kenneth Branagh's version, Bernal's version. Um, uh, I have some notes. Uh, Moulin Rouge, Australia and The Great Gatsby. But Baz Luhrmann, for it is he, is now shifting his sights to the small screen with the wildly ambitious Netflix drama The Get Down. Uh, he spoke to Helen earlier this month. And if you're wondering, I'm, now I'm going to say it. Okay, do it. Who my favourite Baz is. Who is your favourite Baz? It is, of course. Barry Fennison. No, he's not a Baz. Barack right. Obama. He's not a Baz. He's a Barry. Um, no, but he's a Barry. Right. You don't shorten the Barry to Baz. Right. I'm talking about people who are professionally called Baz. Okay, like? My good friend, Baz Jones. What? That I went to university with. <laughs> oh. I mean, I was expecting more, I'll be honest, Chris. I don't want to do this. He's probably a cool guy. I don't want to do him down. But You've I mean, met you- Baz. Yeah, you've met. He's a cool he's, he's guy. A cool guy. He's quite zen. He looks a bit like Jason Schwartzman. He's got. He's got it going on. He's a good guy. Yeah, he's okay. a good guy. But he's as a, you get, yeah. it, it doesn't travel. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann. Here we go. <laughs> Helen talking to Baz Luhrmann about to get down. Enjoy. Well, here we are on the. Well, here we are on the chat show, Helen. Uh, uh, it's great to be on the show, Baz Luhrmann. Thank you for joining us. I'm, so I'm happy to be here. Look at us in our special room here. I know it's a, f- a fabulous, actually, yeah, where we've got sort of Chinese hotel. pagodas or something. It's very, on the wall. very cool, and yeah. we can see out there. The crowd gathering around the pub. As soon as I finish this, I'm going down to join them. Very wise. So you've been doing like you've been doing two very intense days of press. This is all for Netflix's The Get yeah, Down. Yeah, it's for The Get Down. What's true is that we've just screened it, and we've screened it. I've screened it for some people in the states. That's gone very well. But then you never know what the reception might be like here. You yeah. don't know how it translates, and it's been a pretty terrific couple of days I have to say I completely loved it yesterday oh, great. The, um, the music is astonishing I mean you've got, you. you've got disco you've got hip hop you've got Thank everything you. in between and I gather there's some more kind of styles coming in sure I mean yes show. yes we do I mean the, the thing is although many people say it's a history of hip hop that's not entirely true having said that mm. the genesis of it began with me reaching out being fascinated by this question about how did so much this creative force arrive into the world out of a time and a place that was so negative and yet it's so positive and powerful. However, it identified the year 1977. Now, 77, such a fascinating year. Here is a time when, you know, uh, the music industry is is the highest uh, recording of all time. It's $2 billion. Film is $1.5 billion. Sports is half a a billion dollars. So it's huge. Driven by disco. Yeah. Disco is king. And at the same time, up in, as Nelson George, who's worked very closely with me, as has I with all the founding fathers and the collaborators, but up in the Bronx, these young kids are getting records and they're doing something really weird with them. They're extending the beats and they're even sort of talking over them. And no one hears about this for many years. And it doesn't even have a name. It doesn't have a name until the 80s. Yeah. So that was kind of the genesis of it. But yes, we go down. We, we, punk does come into it. Um, in fact, 77 was the first ever year of voguing. So the first oh. ever Grand Vogue ball. So it might pop its head up somewhere along the road. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and, and you have these great young vibrant They're characters wonderful. in the middle of it I mean yeah. so uh, Justice Smith uh, is our lead as Zeke or Book right. and I mean I remember seeing him in Paper Towns right. and being like 
unnaturally, viscerally concerned for this kid's welfare. Yeah. He's just so appealing and empathetic. Empathetic. I think he's a, first of all, he's a great technical actor. Mm. He takes it very seriously. Like he'll read the books, he'll do the poetry. He's very, very craft orientated. Um, but there's no doubt about it. He has an extra dollop of empathy. The ability to empathize with him is quite extraordinary. Yeah. You feel for him and with him. Yeah. There's a, there's a scene where he reads one of his poems to right. a teacher and it just breaks your heart. Right. It's in- right. astonishing. People are talking about that. Yeah, rightly so. So yeah. how did you how did you find these kids? Because they're all quite young. Um, I have this casting director who's also one of my dearest friends, Ron O'Cress. And uh, she wants her name above the title, of course. <laughs> of She's course. a megalomaniac. Anyway. No, I love her. But, but we started and then we got with Rory on the ground. So, for example, in that circle of friends... Mm. One of them, you have Jaden, who's just been here, Jaden Smith, and he's obviously had a long life in the public eye and is an actor well-known. Justice, who's just done Paper Towns. Then you have one young fellow that we found on the subway busking in the Bronx, rapping in the Bronx, called TJ, never been near a camera in his life. Next thing, he's in the get down as a lead. So that's how diverse the groups are. Young um, Skylan Brooks, who I think is true, they're all gifted, Mm. but Skylan also has his gifts. They're so uniquely different and they were they really clicked they're also a great ensemble they become essentially a band mm. everything we do is a reflection of facts so anything you see in the show we have a factual place we can point to but like Grandmaster Flash became Grandmaster Flash in the Furious Five so we do our own version of that right you know, spoiler alert anyway. <laughs> I think I don't think that will upset people too yeah, it much it won't surprise anyone yeah, no, you can see it coming right and how about uh, Shaolin Fantastic I mean, uh, Shamik Moore, he was already got a lot of attention in, in Dope. Mm. But when he came in, first of all, he's intense in the best possible way. He's intense about his craft and the art. And, you know, he's like, I'm going to make myself the best I can be. But I will say something else. Apart from being a terrific actor, without reservation, he is singularly the most extraordinary physical mover I've ever worked with. And I don't just mean that when he dances, he can take his head off, roll it around the floor and put it back on, which he can. Impressive. But, yeah, but everything you see him doing that, there's no stunts in that picture. When he, oh, like, you know, they're jumping around all that. Later yeah, on, he yeah. rolls on cars. And I mean, that's sliding down the rock. I asked him to walk down the rock. I said, <laughs> now, do you think you can walk down the rock? I call action. And he span and when stopped and went, you know, it was wow, wow, where's shit back there? Like, he's <laughs> extraordinarily physical. Yeah. Oh, that, that's got to help your stuntman budget anyway, right? It's, it's uh, well, yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. I mean, he really is something else like that. I mean... So how long have you been working on this? Because the research that you've done, right. I know you've talked to, you know, as you say, all the all the major leads of the uh, area. You've collaborated right. with Grandmaster Flash right. just extraordinarily. Flash, actually. Herc. Flash is an actually associate producer. Nas no, is an executive producer. Nas writes the rhymes. It's his voice. He is Mr. Books throughout it. I'm, I mean, the collaboration... I'm a serial collaborator, but I've never collaborated with this many people from people who are not in the work, you know, some like Willie Estrada, who was once a gang member and then was a disco star and then became a, a breaker and really knows about the Latin hustle, to professionals like, uh, you know, like like music, music like, like, like um, Niall Rogers, who's mm. working with us on the music, or, you know, um, musical stars of every variety. Yeah. It was amazing. Um, and in terms of the, the, the mix of musical styles and, and the mix of people you worked with, uh, 
regular podcast listeners will know that I've been obsessing over Hamilton for a while now. And you've got David, David Diggs. David, as, David Diggs, indeed. And we have other cast members from yeah. Hamilton um, in different characters. I won't spoiler alert because I'm terrible at that. But, um, I mean, I love Hamilton and, and what Lynn did in Hamilton. I mean, I loved him, his work when he did In the Heights. In the Heights yeah. And I always thought then, because I've always, because I did Romeo and Juliet, and in my mind I've always gone Shakespeare hip-hop, meaning to a certain extent Shakespeare is kind of a hip-hop artist in the sense that he takes structure, but he was a, he's an inveterate in, uh, inventor of words. Like we look at this glass here, it has bubble in it. He invented that word bubble. So he invented one quarter of the English language. Now in hip hop, we see that all the time. Mm. The, the repurposing of words, the invention of words. And I think that this thing with language in rhyme, in rhyming couplets, in rhythm, over rhythm, like this is when language is at its most powerful. And I, there's, a, there's a direct line to me between Shakespeare and, and hip-hop. Yeah. So what Lynn did in, in, in The Heights was he was starting to use hip-hop as in a kind of Shakespearean way to me, you know? Yeah. And, and he certainly took it to an unimaginable level in Hamilton, which is just, you know, it's a, it's a historic, you know, um, culture-changing event. Yeah, I, I think it, it does feel like that. And in the same way, that this, yeah. this automatically reminded me of Hamilton as well, just because, it's, again, it's the, it's the young, scrappy, hungry kids right. forcing their way into the world, forcing the world to notice them. So when do you think your next film will be? <laughs> no pressure. I mean, come on. <laughs> My next film will be a vast epic on retirement of an older man who cannot go on anymore. Um, honestly, I can only... Of course, I have films and I have things that I've actually said yes I'm going to develop that um but right now the get down is so overwhelming and so absorbing mm. and the enthusiasm and the creativity and the music requires all of my energy so you know this time when I finish I will take that soul searching moment and then who knows, perhaps there will be a movie. Okay. I won't entirely give up movies. They are a couture show. <laughs> this is not a Soderbergh-style announcement of retirement at all. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know what's... I know Simon. I don't know what, how he's retirement now. Does he... Does he I mean, he, re, he, in inverted commas, retires and then... And come back. And, and he seems to just do twice as much since he retired nearly. Right, so, I get you. I mean, right, yeah. I'd probably be like him, I think. I'd be worse. I'd be like, yeah, I'm definitely not working anymore but as soon as this is finished, which yeah. never it is. But, it, I mean, it, it is wonderful that this, I mean, even, I only saw the first episode, obviously, but it did feel very you. I mean, it felt right. of, it, of, it, of its time and of its era. Yes. But, but your, you know, the bright colours that, right. that that run through so much yeah. of your work were right there. Do you know what's interesting? Style. Um, I can understand that. But what's interesting, and this is a true revelation for me, is that I now realise that perhaps the reason I was attracted to celebrating this is that while I can understand why people would say that, that inherently this subject suits that style. And when I think about it, one of the things I really discovered, of course, is that, is that, is that hip-hop is fundamentally a sort of collage art form. Those young people were taking beats from there, music from there, and they were mixing them up and they were making a third thing. And I think I do that in filmmaking. I think I've always been interested in collaging different elements and different styles to make something, I hope, that's its own thing, 
but it's drawn very distinctly from all sorts of references and sources, and I don't try and hide that. Yeah. You, you, you've talked in the past about, you know, opera influences, right. and obviously when we talked recently about, about Romeo and Juliet, yeah. there was the, the Latin influence. I mean, that was a, right. a, ma- a massive patchwork, I guess. Right, and actually... Um, I think that in this work, again, I mean, I know that in the musical structures I'm doing counterpoint like in opera, like there are story beats that are being sewn together by one song and there might be three storylines going on simultaneously all weaved, we call it a weave, Mm. through one piece of music. So we are doing things I haven't done before as well. Mm -hmm. It's a very Marriage of Figaro kind of... uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. it's me, Mozart. (laughs) How many characters, sire? Not one, not two, but five. And it's four in the case of the first act of Figaro, but yeah, yeah, something like that. Something like that, awesome. Yeah. Um, And will there be more series after this? Do you have a sort of a, a, a roadmap for... Well, what's interesting about the nature of this is, and I can feel it already is they have this life of their own. And, and look, all I can think about is getting to August and making sure that the six pieces that go out are of the highest possible quality. The funny thing about them is, although I haven't shot all of them and I've worked with wonderful directors, I am deeply involved in the post-production on all of them. And it is like making six movies. There's no difference. They all require the mixes. Are, some of the mixes are more complicated than the movies I've done. And then the visual effects... And so there are six little movies, and they need to be out in August. And honestly, <laughs> after that, I shall turn my attention to the next bit. And then by then, I'd probably be, you know, wheeled off into some retirement home by the time that gets done. <laughs> and they'll be going like, oh, the poor thing, <laughs> you know. But I tell you something, whether it's me or not, mm-hmm. I have learnt firsthand, there is no doubt, that the revolution will be televised, meaning there is a revolution going on. And what it is, and Netflix is at the forefront of it, they've begun it, really, and some people are playing catch-up. And the revolution's really simple, and that is that they're going, it's so important that whether it's drama, documentary, whatever it is, series, whatever they've got in their shop, it's like you go into Barney's or you go into um, Liberty... Right? They've got every kind of remarkable thing you might want. Yep. And they're not trying to say, will we just do jeans or we just do men's fashion. There's everything in there. So it's very important for them to give creatives like myself and like everyone involved in this venture to encourage them to make things that aren't like everything else. else. Whereas out of the movie industry, it tends to be, well, dinosaurs were big this season. Can you do me a singing dinosaur? (laughs) Whereas at Netflix, you know, it really is about, can you do something that no one else has thought of? Yeah. And I think that is profoundly attractive to creative people. It is. I would like a singing dinosaur, though. I could probably do a dinosaur the musical, <laughs> Jurassic Park the musical. La 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 da 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 da. da, da, da. Pick it up, dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, high kicks by T Rexes. I mean, yeah, I, think, yeah, I, I yeah, do yeah, think yeah. this this guy could go on sometime, Helen. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but but you're, but you're right. I mean, it is it is refreshing to have a format where the challenges don't do anything like we've seen before and and completely surprise us. Because it, I look, think- look, it's the other thing too. It's called I call them sittings. Mm. Like if you. If you make a film, it's the sitting. Like, okay, I have to go to a place. I love movies, and that'll never change. It's communal. But the sitting will be two hours or one hour and a half. Whereas more like a novel, 
And I've become part of this. I never used to watch television, to be honest, but I do curl up in bed, and you can just button on and button off. So, you know, you've got a novel. You can read a bit, put it down, pick it up, read again, at your own leisure. You might want a lot, a little. You might want to finish all in one night. And that has fundamentally changed the relationship to experiencing things. And so the, the way you make them... Mm changes as well you can uh, you can write a very long novel if you want so it's a little bit like Dickens it's you know, very chap- Dickens chapter it's exactly like Dickens a, I was going to say serialized he, novel. He, he dropped each each episode in papers yeah. that were collected later and I think it's exactly that the only difference is that it, although it's serialized if you want to watch all if you want to read the whole you also get the collected works day one if you want yeah. you know if you want to binge and, and read all of you know Oliver Twist, you can. And if you want yeah. to just wait for it to come out in the paper, well, you can do that too. <laughs> so well, you've gone from Shakespeare to Dickens. Yeah. And, um, and you know, you've gone from Gatsby to hip hop. So you've covered British right. and American culture. You did Australia. You right. Australia. I'm covered there. French. French. I did Moulin Rouge. You did Moulin Rouge. Right. Okay. So I think... Nothing left. You're done. Yeah. Russia and China. You can, then I'm done. There you go. Russia and China, and then you're allowed to retire. That's right. Then I'm allowed to retire. Thanks. <laughs> and right. they, and that, of course, being Russia and China, there'll be little light comedies, oh, right? Yeah. No problems. Isn't there? <laughs> Can't wait my Soviet comedy. Here we go. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann, thanks very much. It's very cool to talk again. Bye. So that was Baz Luhrmann there. Helen, you've only seen the first episode. It's a mammoth first episode of The Get Down, which is uh, It's ambitious. like 90 minutes, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't have that kind of time. <laughs> you should make that kind of time. It's really good, actually. It's it's scrappy and kind of all over the place. I did see an unfinished print, so it may be less scrappy and less all over the place now. But but scrappy and all over the place is kind of what Baz does. And that's his thing, isn't it's, it? I mean, and it kind of suits the story. So the story is basically the birth of hip-hop in sort of 1970s uh, Bronx. Uh, it's It takes in all the music of that era. Uh, you know, you've got the girl who wants to be the kind of disco diva. And mm. then you have these guys who are getting together. It doesn't it's not even called hip hop yet it's it doesn't really have a name they don't really know what they're doing they're just experimenting with these sounds and with these techniques and it's kind of just a little bit magic so uh, our kind of hero so far and I believe that different episodes focus on different people okay. but the, the the main guy in episode one certainly is uh, Ezekiel or Books as he's known he's played by Justice Smith who you may remember from uh, Paper Towns last year. He was the sort of uh, bookish best friend in Remember, that. Remember, I haven't been able to forget. <laughs> well, actually, I haven't because I thought he was utterly fantastic in this. He is, <clears throat> he's, I don't know, he's a, he's a young actor who I remember being unnaturally concerned for in Paper Towns. Like, I just wanted good things for him and I was terrified that anything bad would ever happen to him. And I feel exactly the same way in The Get Down. Like, I am unnaturally invested in his well-being. And I find the first episode incredibly tense because I kept worrying about him and wishing somebody would give him a hug already because he seemed like he needed it. It's just, there's something about him that I just find intensely empathetic. Um, So he is a young kid uh, in his last year or two of school, just breaking up for summer holiday. Uh, He has a massive crush on uh, this girl in his school uh, who's played by... um, Herazen uh, Guardiola. Um, she plays Mylene, and she, well, I don't know. And she's the one who uh, who wants to be a disco diva, she, but she has uh, she's sort of stuck with a very very strict father who doesn't want anything of the sort for her. Mm. He's of course played by Giancarlo Esposito from Breaking Bad. Her uncle is Jimmy Smith, who's the local sort of. 
gangster is the wrong word. He's a he's a d- real estate developer, but he clearly has some very unsavory connections and is willing to do some perhaps less than entirely <clears throat> legal things to get ahead in the real estate game. But at the same time, he does want to redevelop the area, so oh, he's kind guy. of yeah. So anyway, so it's but it's about uh, the get down, which is. Uh, our other kind of one of our other main characters um, is Shaolin Fantastic. That's his nom de hip hop, played by Shamik Moore, uh-huh. and he is um, kind of learning at the feet of Grandmaster Flash. Mm-hmm. Not played by Grandmaster Flash, although he did consult on the series. Um, he's learning how to mix and how to break beats, and uh, and that's kind of the birth of hip hop. The music is as you'd expect unbelievably good mm-hmm. uh, and it just has a lot of energy and a lot of zip about it so I'm really excited to see more excited to see more imagine if we'd gone for the long version hey <laughs> okay so that's Helen on the get down uh, that's on Netflix as of today Helen am I right 12th correct yes you can binge it in all its glory it's great uh but let's talk about movies that are out in the multiplexes this week. And we're going to start with a comedy came out in the States about a month ago. It's called Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Zac Efron, Anna Kendrick, uh, Aubrey Plaza and Adam Devine. John, what did you think of this? Uh, Hang on a second. Where have you been? <laughs> it's John Nugent, everybody. Hiding in my rage corner. <laughs> <laughs> have you literally been sitting there the entire time? Or have we just called you in to do this? Yeah. Oh, no, I've just been very quiet yeah. for the last 45 minutes. Don't pull back the curtain. <laughs> Um, yes, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Uh, this is about two guys called Mike and Dave, uh, and they I'm so glad we called you in for that. They need uh, dates for a wedding. Great, thanks, John. What's next? We'll see you next week. <laughs> no, what's it? What's it like? So it's based. Apparently, it's based on a real life story. It's based on a book. Um, uh, these two guys who they're basically quite responsible they're quite sort of reckless they have a re- reputation for sort of ruining family occasions and so they are required by their parents to find respectable dates to sort of tame them to sort of calm them down a bit so the two guys are played by Adam Devine and Zac Efron and then obviously the dates they find are Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick but it turns out in a sort of funny twist that these two girls are not actually that respectable at all. They just pretend to be respectable in order to get a free holiday to Hawaii, which is where the wedding is, because right. um, it's their sister's wedding, mm. Mike and Dave's sister's wedding. Um, so that's basically the the setup. That's really all of the plot that there is. All that happens is just a sort of a succession of wacky set pieces as we sort of discover that not only are Mike and Dave incredibly irresponsible and reckless and get up to, you know, hijinks galore, um, but so do the girls. So in a sense, it's kind of gender neutral or gender, uh, there's a sort of gender equality there, I guess, Mm. in how awful all four of these people are. Like, they're (laughs) all terrible. Um, And it's all very sort of vulgar. The sort of tone of the whole thing is incredibly vulgar and rude. There's a lot of jokes where the punchline is masturbating or, you know, sex. Um, And it's... it's Is it literally people just yelling masturbating and sex? (sighs) There's a bit where someone says... If you don't get in here, I'm going to start masturbating. That's how I rally people for the pod. Every, yes. Every week. Yeah. Yeah, it, and it is effective. Because <laughs> none of us want that I did want anymore. to speak to you about that, Chris. Yeah, stop in doing your emails. I don't know. It's it's. There's nothing wrong with being a bit vulgar, but I think this is just childish to the nth degree. And I, I found it quite tiresome, to be honest. I mm. think it's... Um, it, there, there is a bit in the towards the end of the movie where they they sort of steal they they 
explicitly steal a, a bit from Wedding Crashers. They say this is a bit from Wedding Crashers, the, the bit where the guy poisons uh, a drink with, I think, eye drops. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, name check that movie, and I think that's what they're going for. They're going for this sort of wacky mid noughties like frat pack comedy. Um, and they, you know, there are a few jokes that land, but most of them don't. Most of them, it it does feel a bit just lame. And you know, it's a shame because the cast are really good. Like mm. I like all of these people. Zac Efron is really funny in Bad Neighbors. Aubrey Plaza is great in Parks and Recreation. Uh, Anna Kendrick's great in pretty much everything she does. Um, Adam Devine, I've not seen in Workaholics, but I've heard he's very good. He's great in Pitch Perfect. Yeah, all all of them are very, very capable comedy actors. You know, we've seen them do very good stuff and they they elevate the material occasionally, but it's just not not a funny film, really. And it's just quite childish and, and feels a bit tired. So, yeah. Two stars. Two stars, I'm afraid. Two stars. Not a recommendation from Mike and Dave need wedding dates. Next up then we have the remake of Disney's Pete's Dragon. This one is directed by David Lowry, stars Bryce Dallas Howard, Robert Redford, and of course a giant dragon. Correct. Yes. Um and Carl Urban. And Carl Urban. Yes. And a young kid called Oaks Feagley. And Wes Bentley. And Wes Bentley. It's good. Where's Bentley? So what is this this one, Phil? The original is a sort of vaudevillian type musical with a painted a CG a two hand drawn 2D yeah. dragon that is the friend of of young Elliot the, yes. the, the protagonist of the movie um, and I watched it again recently when I interviewed David Lowry for the magazine he's a wonderful wonderful guy really really smart that film the first one is terrible yes I haven't seen it since then um, so I'm assuming it's still a masterpiece but um, <laughs> you know anyone ever assume it was a masterpiece well you know the, okay Pete like you say that, that dragon um, was um, green with like pinky yeah. bits, Pink bits and yeah. he had tough. the physique of an aging darts player um, <laughs> somewhere between Schmaug and Jockey Wilson is how I picture <laughs> I don't know what he was doing after hours but it probably involved several hundred pints of ale um, just dragging this big belly around with him but he was cute and affectionate in his own way and there is a certain nostalgia factor carried forward into this film which is a much sleeker as you'd expect more modern um, beast um, Disney are just a very safe pair of hands, but I think if there's one problem with this film, it just feels a little lacking in edge. It's got a kind of a, you know, characters that reminded me of, you know, the wood. it's got a woodcarver that makes you think of Pinocchio, Robert Redford's character. He tells tall tales of a dragon that lives in the woods and all the kids um, sit at his side and, and, and sort of gasp at the improbability of it. But of course you see that this dragon does exist and he has formed this kind of, Bond with Oaks Feagley, this young kid who's been involved in a car crash and is now living in the woods, feral, um, with the dragon. And then Bryce Dallas Howard's uh, park ranger um, discovers him and, and it becomes a sort of a Spielbergian tale of finding your place and finding your own, your family, a surrogate family. Mm-hmm. So something that we've seen very much through all of sort of the Spielberg filmography. And um, it's it's touching in that regard. The acting is is pretty good with the exception of Carl Urban's character not his performance who plays the bad guy he's the kind of the the logger who wants to just tear everything down and and, and obviously threatens um, the dragon's ecosystem and, and wants to catch the dragon because that's his the way he's going to make his fortune um, it, it, it's a little bit of a two-dimensional villain and it drains the film of, of, of attention that it probably needs mm. you know I always felt like with, with a film like 
E.T., for instance, or Close Encounters, um, and it's invidious to compare with great masterpieces like those, that there is a real sense of stakes. And here there is, but it's a slightly, it's, it's a slightly kind of cartoonish nod to, to real, to real, to a real threat. Mm. Um, so, it's a film I saw a few weeks ago. I, I enjoyed it. It's very touching. It's a great film to take the kids to. It has faded slightly from from my mind. The dragon, as you'd expect, is the CG is pretty strong. I'm a little over dragons potentially. <gasps> How even dare you? Oh gosh, Helen's back. Um, <clears throat> well, just at the moment, I, there's been a lot of dragons. Let's you, you wouldn't disagree. I would. There's never enough dragons. Okay, but there's been a lot. Um, and this dragon is is very much another dragon. How even? <laughs> um, and he doesn't do any singing, unlike that original one. And he's not, he's sleeker. He's not yeah. been at the Ales. I just realised I called um, what? the kid in the movie Elliot. The kid in the movie's Pete. The kid, the dragon's the, Elliot. The kid's Pete, the dragon's Elliot. They haven't it's in the, the title, for God's sake, Pete's Dragon. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I've corrected the course. People are probably going, you idiot, five minutes ago. But, ah, who's the idiot now? <laughs> yeah. Well, we could be called Elliot's. Elliot's Pete. Elliot's Pete. Elliot's <laughs> yeah. boy friend. No. Elliot's... <laughs> the, oh, Moving okay. on. Anyway, so um, I guess the thing that you think of this summer is The Jungle Book, which has kind of married the, the live action and CG environment so beautifully. This is very much less CG heavy, um, mm. less green screeny. It's set, it's moved the original story from that old lighthouse New England setting, I think, to the Pacific Northwest, and the environment and the and the habitat of the film is very beautiful, very verdant. Um, it's a real sense of the sort of. If you remember the the the, the forests in uh, was it Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of feel of real remoteness. Um, I like that very much about this film. And David Lowry's indie aesthetic. I probably should have started with that because that's he's such an interesting choice for this for this sort of material. Um, and it does seem to be a sort of a, a halcyon time to be an indie filmmaker because you can go from you know Ain't Them Body Saints, which is a pretty small mm-hmm. three hander, to a big Disney budget big budget movie, um, and and leave your stamp on it. And this has David Lowry's stamp on it. It's not. It's it's at times meditative in a way that you wouldn't expect from a family film it's it's slower paced and more deliberate in the way that it's put together mm. um, and I think that's to its a positive and a negative in some ways here because it, you do sometimes need it to just to feel a bit more snappy um, but you know I think it's really great that you've got people like Jeff Nichols getting to make bigger movies Jordan Voigt Roberts is making Skull Island obviously um, Ryan Johnson Colin Trevorrow people like that mm. are, are kind of clearly in the eyes of the big studios and they're bringing their own thing to these movies and giving them texture um, and I think maybe DC and people like that might learn something from that absolutely we gave it three stars three stars for Pete Dragon, which is a recommendation and next up is another movie about someone who's trying to have a lovely relationship with an animal it's a shallows <laughs> <coughs> yeah I, I guess so this is Blake Lively uh, starring as a bikini clad surfer Nancy um, and uh, things go a bit wrong when she's attacked by a shark and basically this, the, the film is her stuck on a buoy out in the middle of the sea trying to figure out how to get herself out of this situation um, she uh, it, it's yeah so it's basically a one-hander pretty much you know aside from mm-hmm. a, a few little bits here and there steady on I mean uh, <laughs> Chris really uh, although she does befriend a seagull mm-hmm. who she of course names Stephen Seagull mm-hmm. which I think we can all applaud um, 
And uh, especially in the circumstances, I mean, if you were being stalked and attacked by a giant shark, would you have the presence of mind to make a witty pun like that? I don't know. Probably. I think I would. I think you probably would. You might not have the presence of mind to do what she does and essentially... Uh, essay a bit of self-surgery um, mm, but no, uh, but you probably die. no you pro- yeah you, that's probably I'd true. be eaten what I would do though yeah. is I would try and lure Stephen and his friends uh-huh. and get the shark to eat those instead ah, See? filled up mm. fill up the shark on Always seagulls thinking. well she doesn't quite go for that plan mm. but uh, it's a, it's an interesting interesting and very very tense film um, I mean look it's it's a uh, Nick in our review called it perfectly decent Friday night schlock and I think that's probably a fair assessment it's not going to change the world it's not going to change your your view on sharks um, particularly um, <laughs> yeah, you know. um, but it's but it's well directed it's how I call it Sarah who's obviously very very good at creating tension and drive and narrative pace in something like this and and she's really really good on form like you know I mean, it helps obviously that she's like lively and she's not exactly hard on the eyes, but it, it, she she is also very very good as this character. She's got kind of a little bit of a tragic backstory, but this you can see her sort of fighting through this, and there's a little bit. Does of the shark there. have a backstory? Chris, not I really. I want to know the shark's point of view. Do, do you know what the shark actually is is feeling put upon um, because for years people have been running and screaming from him. He just wants to be friends. He just wants to be friends. I mean, and and I think Jaws did so much damage to shark PR mm. that this poor shark is now unable to make friends. So um, he's actually trying to. He's, he's saying, ah, "Be my friend." He's trying but... to befriend her mouth first. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> give us a kiss, love. <laughs> ah. Anyway, so uh, so yeah, it's actually uh, not bad at all. Uh, we give this one three stars. Three stars then for uh, the shallows, which is as we always say on the Emperor Podcast. A shark recommendation. Do we say that? Do we? We do now. And that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun when we'll be joined by... Blimey O'Reilly. Blimey O'Reilly? Yes. (laughs) Finally. We've got him. Ah, I went to school with him. (laughs) Welcome to the Empire Podcast, Blimey (laughs) O'Reilly. Oh, it's great to be here. (laughs) Oh, my God, you racist. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. You sullied an entire nation. <laughs> I did not. You did. I did not. You should even know what Whatever that nation was. that was you were you trying to do. You don't even know what that was. That was the leprechaun land. The Far leprechaun. away. <gasps> how dare you? Oh, that was Whoa. some sort of hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to get Why out of this one. So Whoa. So, Chris, just to, be, just to clarify, oh. that was you once again attempting to make a catchphrase happen. Is that right? <laughs> I think we can rule that one out. Let's cross that one off the list. <laughs> like, I don't know. Let's ask Blimey when he comes in next week. <laughs> How he feels about it. Ah, Jesus, well, to be sure, I'm not so sure about the gold catchphrase business, isn't it? I mean, what's that about when you're at home with the cows? Pedro Amadovar. Why me, It's the person I was trying to build up to. <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot about that. You're done with the day. Oh, I've got to interview him. Oh, no. I'm prepared for Blimey O'Reilly. I've got to interview Pedro Amadovar. Disaster. Of course, in your debut film, um, look at the size of that potato. <laughs> you 
use a real what what do you mean I do not make the film I'm I'm Petra I'm <laughs> what the hell is that I think that's even worse than Phil oh, we've only got 17 more <laughs> European nations to offend <laughs> <laughs> Brexit! This is full on Brexit! Oh my word. Oh, I'm Pedro Amadova. Until then, <laughs> I had a whole thing about Pedro Amadova. No, do your thing. No, this is do your thing. It's amazing Go we got on. Pedro Amadova on the podcast. This is awesome, actually. I'm very excited. I had a whole thing about how, you know. I'm a huge fan. We can be highbrow. Like you lure well, people into the podcast yeah. when you joke about the Hulk pissing in the Olympic pool. Yeah. And then you hit them with, with the Almodovar. With Pedro. But enough about Blimey O'Reilly. Pedro Amadovar is on the podcast next week. That's going to be a lot of fun for Phil, who has only just found out he's interviewing him, so that's going to be fun. Um, no, we're very, very excited about that. Until that auspicious moment, it is it's farewell from Helen. Toodaloo. It's farewell from Phil. No, cheerio. It's farewell from Dario Nugento. Goodbye. Who's been lurking here the entire time. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to break the news to Baz Bammy Boy that he's only my third favourite Baz. Oh, Poor Lamb's going to be inconsolable. Inconsolable. Uh, Thank you for listening. Sorry about everything. See you next week. (laughs) Sorry for everything. (laughs) I just feel like something like she said at the end of every podcast. Sorry Sorry. about everything. Sorry about everything. (laughs)